I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today we have a very special episode, although I feel like I say that every week. This episode is special for a couple of reasons. First, it is the finale of our third season, The Hybrid Revolution. And number two, it is a recording of a live event I did recently with best-selling author and happiness expert, Natalie Kogan. Our topic was about this time of transition that we are all in right now. And we spoke about how to transition back to the office, why we should transition back to the office or why not, and how to take care of our emotional health and our emotional fitness in the process. I know you will really enjoy it. And finally, I have a big announcement. After a year of being asked, I have finally created a course to address all of the topics we've been addressing over the three seasons of Left to Our Own Devices. It will be a six-week virtual course, 75 minutes each, on how to bring your human to work, whether you're in the office, at home, or anywhere in between. It's going to start this September 2021 and end in December, And it will really be an amazing support for this community of human leaders. The course is called Bring Your Human to Work for Leaders, and I hope that you can join us. For more information, email info at ericakeswin.com, and I look forward to hearing from many of you. Again, please feel free to reach out with any questions. Now on with the show. We're now live in all possible places. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this very, very, very special edition of Awesome Human Hour, which is our masterclass with my friend and best-selling author, Erica Keswin, on navigating the new world of work and helping you through that transition. So welcome everyone on Zoom. Welcome everyone on Facebook. We're going to take a moment. We have lots of folks registered. So we're just going to take a moment to let everyone arrive and settle in before Eric and I dive in. We have so much to share, but we have to like, we were just talking. We have to hold ourselves for a couple minutes. Hi, Erica. Hey, how are you? So grateful we're doing this. So excited. Um, And if this is your, I should just say, I know we have a lot of regulars at Awesome Human Hour. Welcome. I know we have lots of new folks here today, including many folks um, from Erica's side of the world. Welcome. The way we always begin is with a moment of gratitude. Uh, So think of something you are grateful for. It could be really small. It can be really big. It doesn't matter. It could be personal, work-related. And if you are up for it, please share your moment of gratitude in chat. This is the way we always begin. It's a wonderful um, little ritual. Erica writes about rituals, and I teach this practice to folks at work. It's a great way to begin a meeting. It just helps us all, like we're not in the same room. It helps us connect as human beings. Um, and it's, it's really, really, I always want to remind you when you share something you are grateful for, you're inspiring someone else, um, to, um, think of what they're grateful for. So thank you all for jumping in, sharing your gratitudes in chat. Um, yeah, as Erica said, please introduce yourself in chat since we can't all meet, right? We're not in the same room. Tell us where you are dialing in from, what company, location. Um, We'd love to say hello as much as we can. Um, A few quick like housekeeping things before we dive in. Everyone who um, is registered is getting a recording. So if you have to hop off early, please don't stress. You'll get a recording. Actually, Erica, let's say hello to everyone who is watching this as a recording because we have thousands of people who watch. (laughs) So hello to you in the future. You are here with us in spirit. Um, 
And uh, Erica and I will definitely take questions at the end. We're definitely going to leave time for questions. So please put your questions as we talk. If you have a question, don't hold it. Pop it into Q&A. It's at the bottom of your screen. That's the best place to put it. Or if you put it in chat, that's fine too. But the best place for questions is in Q&A. Um, and we will definitely be sharing uh, resources at the end, ways you can learn more. So all of that um, will be happening. But mostly we are so grateful you're all here to talk about this exciting and challenging. Eric and I were just chatting before a topic. This isn't easy for anyone. So we are really grateful to be here to um, offer, uh, offer you um, some help and resources and ideas. Um, I saw someone in chat ask, is there a way to save the chat? With the recording that you get, you will be able to scroll through the chat. So you won't be able to see the questions. That, that just goes to us. But you will all be able to see the chat. No worries. All right. I think we should get started because we, Eric and I have so much to say. I don't want us to run out of time. So if you are joining late, zero stress. You're missing nothing. This is a stress-free zone. So you're going to get the recording. If you're joining late or have to hop off early, please don't worry. Um, so I first have to, Erica, I just have to tell you, I am so excited that we're doing this together. Erica and I met, Erica's already been on Awesome Human Hour, but Erica and I met at Work Human Live 2018, 19? I think so, yeah. Okay. It seems like, you know, ages ago because pre-pandemic. Um, and, uh, I, we have so many like common commonalities to our mission to what we're trying to do. And so this is awesome. Like, I'm really excited that we get to do this together because we've always wanted to do something together. Um, and so I just want to say before, because the way actually Eric and I just wanted to do this is we're, we have questions we're going to ask each other. So we wanted to make this informal, like a conversation. Um, but before um, I do that, I just want to like, Erica, this is probably how you feel like there's so much to say about this topic. We're definitely not going to cover it all in 45 minutes or 55 minutes. Um, and so I just want to like share with everyone, Eric and I, as we prepared, we try to address the things that we think are the most supportive and helpful to you all. Um, but yes, there's lots of things we won't get to. And both Erica and I are here to help in other ways. We'll be sharing our contact information and ways you can learn more about uh, ways we can help you, your team, your company, your organization in the follow-up email. And my colleague Debbie is here in the background. We'll be posting links in chat. So we want to help. Uh, we know this is a difficult time and we've come up with lots of ways we can do it. All right, Erica, I think we should jump in because... Great. Uh, we have a lot to say. So I'm going to jump in with my first question for you, which I think is a great way to open. Um, so we are all transitioning to this new world of work, which looks so different for everyone. Literally, it looks different for everyone. Um, there's a lot of challenge around it, but it's also a really good opportunity, right, to um, change how we think about work and what work means and how we work. And so I would love for you to talk about like, what do you see as some of the maybe lasting impact or lessons learned for both employees and employers and leaders? Great. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. I just saw one comment in the chat about how we're both wearing yellow. We have, we do have so much in common and, and my, my book like is yellow. Both of our books are yellow. Hold it up. Hold it up. I love it. We're like yellow twins. It's so funny because that was certainly not planned as you start writing no. your book, you know, years <laughs> before it comes out. So, so much in common. So um, this is, 
in many ways, this is an opportunity. You know, I'm calling it the opportunity for the great reset. You know, how can we retain pieces of, of what was good about the last year and a half for many people, you know, not for everyone, and change what was never working to begin with? Um, you know, in the space where where I work, where we both work, more on the human capital side, um, you know, I, people would often say to me, maybe directly or maybe not to my face, but this, this was the softer stuff. And what I have seen and what I always believed was that the soft stuff is really the hard stuff and the most important stuff. But finally, companies who get it um, are, are, are now on the same page. And, you know, this talk today is really geared for leaders whether you're in human resources or whether you're a manager of a team or even an individual contributor in managing yourself, um, this is an opportunity for you to, to bring some of this stuff to the forefront. So how do we do that? Um, I'm going to give you a couple of ways. Um, you know, I think, Natalie, you and I both try to talk big picture, but also give some very prescriptive ideas of what yeah. people can do. So number one, when I talk about bringing your human to work, what does that mean? Um, if I were to break it down, it means you, it means you have to honor relationships and think about all the decisions that you're going to make. You know, should you hire this person? Should you launch a new project? How many days should people come into the office? Through the lens of honoring relationships with your colleagues, with your direct reports, with your customers, and last but definitely not least, and I know you're going to talk to the, about this a lot today, is honoring that relationship with yourself and putting that oxygen mask on first. Number two, I think there's going to need to be a shift of thinking about, you know, hours worked to thinking about outcomes, that we need to change the way that we're thinking about performance. And for many people, um, that's a tough shift, especially in certain generations. There still is this mindset of we need to have our, our butt, you know, our tushies in the, in the seat. Um, number three, you know, wellness that we need to think about all these decisions that we're making through the lens of, of wellness, emotional fitness, as you're going to talk about, and, and, and mental health. And last and 100% not least, none of this will work if the leaders are not leading by example. If you're talking a good game and you, know, you need to take vacation and we want you to have flexibility, yet all of the leaders haven't changed their behavior one ounce, it is never going to work. So yeah. that's where I think we need to start, um, you know, with with this reset. I love that. I love that right. perspective. And yes, to echo what Erica said, we want to talk about the, the big stuff. But our focus today is to arm you both as a leader of others and yourself with some practical things that you can actually do to help yourself through this. Um, I think it's really, I love your, um, just before we shift into talking about change and emotional fitness. I love the focus on the lens of relationships. I think that um, in every decision, if we just like, I really took that right now. Like if we just pause and think about that, it takes a second just to have that intention. Our decisions will be um, reflecting of our intentions versus making a lot of decisions and then thinking, oh, wait, this isn't really supporting me or my team in the way I wanted to. Right. And through the lens of values and through the lens of what you're saying is important. Yeah. You're at that litmus test. You are at that fork in the road right now. Yep. And, and I love that. Do you take a left? Do you take a right? Do, do that pause. 
Um, so on that topic of, of transition, you know, you and I talked about, and I agree with you that we're all coming into this transition stressed and tired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like we're so refreshed, you know, from the last 16 months. So what tips do you have for leaders about making this transition less stressful for themselves and for their team members? Yeah, um, I'm going to try not to give a TED Talk on this topic because, you know, you know but the well, first we, want you, I- we want you to give a TED Talk <laughs> on this topic. Okay. It's true, it's true. So the first thing I want to say, and um, I've been talking about this a lot to leaders and teams throughout this year, is um, we have just gone through something that has zapped all of our resources. So I just want to like put a point on that. Whether you have been working from home or commuting or what you've been juggling, we have all been going through something incredibly stressful. And we as humans have um, like extra capacity to handle short-term stress. We used it up really long time ago. So the first thing, and this is actually part of it, is to acknowledge for yourself and for others, your team, your organization, everyone is coming into this depleted. We are not at our best in terms of our energy and our focus because we've just gone through something really exhausting and it's not over. It still has ramifications. So it's really, really important to acknowledge. I want to do, this is my signature um, because I I can't help it. I'm a geek. I want to just quickly do like a one minute neuroscience lesson on why change and transition are so hard because It is hard, whether it's transition that we're going through now or any kind of change from Sunday to Monday, right? We all, you know, the Sunday scaries. Why is transitioning to Monday so hard? So here's the thing. Your brain only has one job. It's to keep you safe from danger. And any change, anything that is new, right? So the new world of work, it's unclear. Any uncertainty signals possible danger to your brain. So what does the brain do when it senses danger? It starts to look for everything that could go wrong. And I think it is so important for you individually and for you as a leader of a team to recognize that as we're going through this transition, everyone's brain is looking for, what about this change am I not going to like? What is going to be annoying? What is going to be frustrating? Not because they're negative people. There's no such thing. It's just that's how our brain deals with change. It starts to focus on what could go wrong because it thinks it can protect us, right? Including making up really dramatic, like worst case scenarios. And I, you know, I always like to give personal examples because it's not like Erica and I are immune to this. So I have done 225 virtual talks in the past year. I have not left this chair. Well, that's not true. I've been in my living room. So I have left this chair. This is my home office, but a different chair, different chair. Eric and I have done our work. We used to be on stages. Now we've done it this way. And you know what? I miss a live audience, but I've actually fallen in love with my ability to help so many people without leaving my family and my house and my art stuff. So as my agents have started to book me in person, you know what the first thing my brain said? Oh my God. Oh my God. This is going to be terrible. I'm never going to see my family. It's going to be all crazy hectic again and delays and bad hotels. The first things my brain thought of were negative things about the transition. And I say all this because I want you all to recognize that within yourself and in others. And we're all over-focusing on what is going to be wrong. Again, not because we're negative people. It's just the brain trying to protect us. So one specific thing that I think is non-negotiable for you to do for yourself and as a leader for others is to acknowledge openly these stresses and anxieties that we all have. because. When we share them, 
First thing we recognize, we're not alone. And that's the core human need is to know that we belong. And knowing that we're going through this not alone is really supportive. And then it creates, and I know Erica is going to talk about this too, when you share your what you're worried about, just like I did with you now, right? As I was talking to you about what I'm stressed about, I'm sure all of you felt a little bit more open to acknowledge what you are worried about with this change. So when you do that, especially as a leader in a team, you give everyone else permission to acknowledge what they're stressed about. And that creates a sense of connection, common experience, psychological safety that actually helps to reduce that stress. I've been looking at some research about leaders who handle crises the best and the most effective leaders during crises, which is what we are going through right now. Let's not like it's still a crisis we're recovering from. The most successful leaders are those who openly acknowledge their challenges and create a safe space for people on their team to do the same. The second thing is, and this is my like going to be pitched throughout, is we need to balance out the negativity bias. You need to remind yourself and the people on your team and your organization about, well, what is good about this transition? Because your brain is ignoring that. The brain doesn't want to think about what is good, right? My brain isn't thinking about, oh my God, it's so awesome to like be in front of a live audience. It's so great to like hug people in the audience and hear from them. It's thinking about the delays and all that stuff. So the best way, um, two, two ways to do that with yourself and your team, gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Over-invest in your own practice of gratitude, practicing gratitude with your team, um, we started this masterclass with a moment of gratitude. I encourage you all to start meetings with gratitude and have conversations about, hey, let's talk about what is good. What is everyone excited about? What is something positive we're looking forward to in this transition? Not to kind of gl- you know glance over all the challenges, but because the brain is not doing that naturally. So that's my, that's my homework to all of you, actually. Let's just like, let me be firm about it. Gratitude, 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 because your brain is naturally over-focusing on everything that's wrong because it's afraid. It's looking for possible danger. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I want to ask Erica a question connected to this. The, the thing that you're hearing from both me and Erica already that I just want to highlight is you as a leader have an incredible opportunity right now to lead with emotional openness, with emotional awareness, and to give everyone permission to be more open with each other. This to me is one of uh, really incredible changes we could bring into our workplaces because our emotions have always been there, right? Like Erica's first book, I love the title, Bring Your Human to Work. And I remember like when I was reading, it's like, but of course you can't leave your human. Like our emotions come with us. But I know that many of us work in places, many of you work in places where emotions maybe aren't talked about It is an opportunity right now as a leader. And by the way, a leader, I love when Erica was talking about, you don't have to manage people. You could be leading yourself. A leader is someone who positively impacts other people's capacity to thrive. That's my definition. You have an opportunity right now to bring this openness and um, awareness around people's emotions into the workplace, which has so, so many benefits. Um, So speaking of that, actually, um, Erica, you know, uh, let's talk about leaders and vulnerability during this time, because it is never easy to be vulnerable and open, particularly as a leader, because we all think that we're supposed to be strong and confident and never feel stress or doubt. But it's also really challenging now. I can tell you a lot of leaders that I've been working with tell me that they're afraid. 
that if they start to acknowledge some of their own worries about this transition, like their team will get stuck, you know, like everyone is just going to worry. So I'd love for you to talk about um, like how can leaders lead with vulnerability and openness during this time and how um, can people kind of practice this humanness, whether they're at home, but also for those teams that are not going to be all in one place where they're going to be in a hybrid model, which is a word I got to tell you, it's driving me a little crazy, but I, know. I, I, I hear you. We got to, we got to find a new word other than hybrid. So I think there's never been a, a more important time for leaders to flex that muscle, to, to test out some level of vulnerability to your point, Natalie, not everybody's going to be as comfortable with it than others, but even just moving a little bit, you know, along that continuum can make a big difference. And, and when you said, you know, people think if I'm vulnerable, my teams are going to feel uneasy. It's actually the opposite, that if you are a little bit vulnerable and share some uncertainty, the t- your team will settle and, and say, you know what, we don't need to have all of this figured out. My boss doesn't need to have it all figured out. I don't need to have it all figured out. And so if if there's one thing that we, I mean, I hope you take away more than one thing from this today, but it is one of the most important things as we begin to transition, again, whether we're going back into the office face-to-face or we're home, but regardless, there's going to be transition. So on the practical side, you know, let's talk about how, how we do this. And, you know, one of the surprises that I had um, in two instances, one is when I wrote my most recent book on ritual, I had some time to circle back during the pandemic to leaders I had interviewed to ask how things were going and to see the difference. And I've continued those conversations. And many of them have said that their employees are more engaged Mm. now than they were before. And a big piece, I was sort of surprised by that. But yeah. a, big, a big piece of it is because leaders who never thought they could bring their human um, did because they didn't have a choice. They were in their home office, the kids running by, the dog is barking, the Wi-Fi is not working. We didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So while I hope for all of us, you know, we're, you know, next time, Natalie, I see you were in person at some amazing event. I don't want people to forget what, what they saw. So the first thing to think about, number one, is around communication. The companies that have said their employees are more engaged are communicating, number one, more frequently, number two, with much more transparency, and number three, with this level of vulnerability. So one example is Bill Konigsberg. He's the CEO of Horizon Media. During the pandemic, started a daily email called the Bill Daily. And it started like many companies during the pandemic with, are we safe? Are our families safe? Is the technology working? Can we get our work done? And then that grew into, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm reading. Here's my own stress. And he told me that um, the feedback, he's never gotten such positive feedback. And I thought this was sort of funny, so I'll share it. Probably about, he has 3,000 employees. He probably got about 40 emails from his employees' parents because the employees were sharing his Bill Daily emails with their parents wow. and just showing like, look how real, you know, yeah. my, my CEO is. So that's number one on the communication side. And with that, I would be very overt with, 
I don't have all the answers. We're going to take four steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back. And quite frankly, that takes the pressure off. Number two, we need to continue to check in. Now, that might seem like a no-brainer, but during the pandemic, Natalie, I'm sure you saw this as well, many companies said 60 minutes of their 60-minute meetings were just checking in. Then about six months in, 30 minutes of the of the meeting were checking in. And now people say to me, oh my gosh, we're 18 months into this. Do I need to keep checking in? The answer is yes, but it can't be 30 minutes or 60 minutes anymore because we do have to get work done. And so an opportunity for that, and we'll talk about this in a little bit as around rituals, but you know, just like you started today's meeting with gratitude. You know, some organizations will have a check-in. And one example is to have everybody share one word with how they are showing up today. And mm-hmm. what that gives you as a leader is all of this information. You're not going to solve it right there because you're having a team meeting to get some work done. But later, if Natalie shares this, you know, exasperated is her word, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to call her later and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. The other tip is, you do this every week and all of the adjectives that you get are, you know, life is great and things are perfect. You might not have a culture where people think that they can really be themselves. Yeah. And, the, and the last piece um, is be intentional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of you who, who I've worked with before and Natalie's heard me say this, you know, left to our own devices, we're not connecting. We're not going to be vulnerable. We're not going to do what we're talking about. So you need to build it in or... It's, it's not going to happen. So those are just a few tips to... Uh, to I actually just want to add, before you ask me my next question, I want to actually add something because I love when you talked about check in, checking in and how in a moment when we were really, this crisis began, it's a natural human inclination, right? There's a lot of research to connect, right? So we were spending a long time doing it. And then it kind of, you know, started to fall to the bottom of the to-do list And I just want to share one example. Um, Capital One is a company we've done a lot of work with. If there's any Capital One folks here, say hi in chat. Um, And one of the leaders, uh, his name is Arjun. He's uh, head of HR for uh, their financial services division. Hey, Capital One, what's up? Um, I did a workshop for them at the beginning of the pandemic. I think it was May of last year. And one of the practices that I teach is called the check-in. And it is incredibly simple practice, but it is especially for leaders to have a five-minute check-in with people on their teams where they ask them how they're doing. It's not about work. They don't have an agenda. It's not part of the regular one-on-ones when, you know, we all kind of come on alert. And I teach that listening to what someone is saying is a big part of that practice. So listening means you're not jumping in with advice. You're not trying to fix it. You're not multitasking. And it really builds the the skill of kindness into the interaction. So I taught this practice and then I was doing a follow-up workshop with them. And so I'm about to dive in and this HR leader, Arjun, goes, hold on, I just got to tell something everyone, you know, and this is him and like a thousand people that, you know, are on his global team. He says, I just got to tell everyone, when Natalie introduced this check-in practice last time, I was just like, I don't know, like it's. I'm not sure I can do that. It feels a little cheesy. I'd like, what am I going to do? Be reaching out, checking in. He said, but you know, Natalie gave us homework. So I did it. And he said, oh my God, it completely transformed my relationships with my team and the way that everyone is interacting. He, I forget he had a system to do it. He has a lot of people on his team. So I forget how he was picking several people every week. But he said, 
it kind of gave them a wake up call, which is a point I want to highlight to what Erica was saying, that we all want to connect and it is important. But when we get busy and stress, it goes to the bottom of our list, not because we're bad people, but just because our brain is just going, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And he said, just that practice to Erica's point about being intentional of just putting on on his to-do list, check in. And he, I forget, he had a system to pick like a person per day and it was transformative. And so I love what Erica and what we're talking about of being both intentional, but also making these concrete to-dos part of your schedule, part of your day. And don't feel weird for scheduling kind things. You're just acknowledging that you're busy, right? And so I love Erica, you talking about the check-in because I the Arjun story really stuck with me because he didn't want to do it. And then it turned out to be like this really beautiful way to connect, um, which I think is really, really important. Um, and I love, by the way, I want to share something from Chad to my and Erica dislike of the hybrid hybrid workplace. Someone said that their company is using dynamic. I like that. I like that better. Yeah, so it's up in chat somewhere. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Kratok said dynamic model. I like that. I really, really like that. So it's an idea. Jennifer, what company are you with? Can you put in chat? Because we dig that. I think it's really like the energy around it is completely different. Um, and, it, and it is, oh, fidelity. And it fidelity is dynamic on. because we're going to take four steps forward and one step back. Like we're, this is, this is new, this is new territory. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, all right. I like yeah. that. Love it. I love it. So Natalie, a big piece of what companies have been focusing on over the last 18 months and and even before the pandemic um, was around, you know, well-being and emotional health and the destigmatization of having these conversations at work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's never been a time you know, work and life, as we all started getting on these devices, you know, back in the day, work and life started going like this. And I think there's never been a time when that's happened more than during the last 18 months when we were living and working in the same place. So it has skyrocketed and made um, emotional health a priority for many companies. So the question though is for, for this group, you know, how can leaders in organizations, in reality, you know, make it a priority and keep it a priority, not only, you know, for their teams, Mm -hmm. but for themselves, because I don't know, I've never, managers are really stressed. I mean, they're taking care of everybody else right now. So how do you do it? Because I don't know, sometimes I find there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's, it's such a great thing to think about. And again, you and I both, it's so interesting. We've said the, the word wake-up call a lot. I think the pandemic was a wake-up call, right? The research about the importance of well-being for performance, for engagement has been there for years. But I think the pandemic was a wake-up call. And I can share, um, without naming them, there were several companies that we had conversations with a couple of years ago about doing some of the workshops that we do. And they kind of didn't prioritize them. And they came back during the pandemic saying, we get it now. We see when people under extreme stress, we can't talk about performance and engagement. So I think it has been a wake-up call. And um, uh, in, in my work, Human Talk virtual this year, I my call to action was, can we stay awake? Can we all help to stay awake and actually carry this forward with us? 
So a couple like specific things for you as a leader, and I'm going to repeat my definition of a leader again. You are a leader if you positively impact other people's capacity to thrive. So it means leading yourself, your team, your colleagues. I know we have leaders here who are leading whole organizations, but that's what makes you a leader. The first thing, and leaders ask me this a lot, like how do I encourage well-being and self-care for my team? You cannot teach what you don't practice right? I used to do this just in the interest of full disclosure. Before I burnt out, which I know I've talked about to so many folks here, I was the leader who told my team to take the weekend off and make sure you're taking time for you. And you know what I did on the weekends? I sent them emails. I worked on public documents that they could see. So I just created an atmosphere of lack of trust because they didn't trust anything I said because I wasn't practicing. So the number one thing, and I think Erica mentioned this before, that you can do as a leader, first and foremost, is you have to make your own emotional fitness your number one priority. What do I mean by emotional fitness? Emotional fitness is a skill of cultivating a more supportive relationship with yourself, your emotions, your thoughts, and other people. So whatever those activities are that support you, you have to schedule them, right? So I teach this practice. Everyone is welcome to take it. It's called the daily fuel up. Schedule 10 to 15 minutes on your calendar every day. doesn't have to be the same time. Block the time on the calendar. I don't care what you call it. You can call it meeting with a pink elephant for all I care, but like just block the time. And when that time comes, check in with yourself. How are, how am I feeling? How is my energy mentally, emotionally, physically? And what can I do right now, wherever I am to refuel and reset and do that thing? There's a lot of research that shows if you can do that twice a day, you dramatically improve your well-being, your focus, your motivation, your resilience. So practice your own on your own first. The second thing is normalize talking about self-care within your team, within your one-on-ones, just like you talk about, or what's our project we're working on? What's the priorities for us for the next quarter? Normalize talking about self-care that way. Bring it up in one-on-ones, right? So when you have your one-on-one, ask the person, one of the questions, ask them, hey, what have you been doing for your self-care this week? When you have your weekly team meeting, check in. Uh, What's everyone doing for their self-care this week? One of the leaders, um, I don't know if Carrie is on from Sephora that we've worked with, she started doing something awesome. So she would have her weekly team meetings. They're scheduled for an hour. So everyone's calendar is blocked. But she takes the last 15 minutes and she ends the meeting, 45 minutes. She says, okay, the next 15 minutes, that's everyone's fuel up. That's everyone's self-care break. And I want you to email me after and tell me what you did. And she said, again, it was the simplest thing, but she didn't realize as a leader, she needed to give permission for people to do that. So normalize self-care by fueling it into the, incorporating it into all of these conversations, into the fabric of your team. And the the other thing is, um, part of this is also talking about challenges that people have around self-care, right? So when Erica was asking me the question, right, it's, we get busy, right? And just because I teach this stuff for a living doesn't mean I don't have days where like I didn't do anything for myself and I'm exhausted and exasperated. I love that word, Erica, because I think we've all felt it more than once during the past, whatever, 16 months. And so I think it's really important for leaders to acknowledge that this isn't easy, right? Like in our society, we treat self-care, I feel like, like a luxury, you know, at the end of the day, once you've taken care of everyone else, you know, you take your five minutes for yourself. Self-care is your responsibility, right? To yourself, to your work, to everyone else. And as a leader, this is part of bringing your human to work. 
as much as I'm, I've just given you a couple of tips and practices to normalize it, you also want to create room for people to talk about um, uh, their challenges around it. And I just want to answer one last question. First, I want to remind everyone to put your questions. A bunch of you are putting it in chat. It's fine. If you have a question, put it into Q&A because we'll get to them soon. Um, but Emily just put a good question around, <clears throat> excuse me, is there another word for self-care? Because some companies like, it's, it's, it sounds soft. Um, and until Eric and I win our battle to name these not soft skills, we're, we're, we'll continue to battle. Emotional fitness. This is why I, I've begun to talk about emotional fitness. My next book is all about emotional fitness. Again, emotional fitness, I have to tell you, and I talked to a lot of leaders before I kind of kind of hugged that term. So if self-care is not something that's working for you and your organization, talk about emotional fitness. Talk about um, inf- optimal performance, right? In some companies, that's what's most comfortable. We cannot perform on an empty tank. And so think about the language. It's a really good point that's comfortable, but the number one thing that you can do is to normalize it by practicing, talking about how you're practicing, making it part of your one-on-ones, your team meetings, and holding yourself and others accountable, just like you do for projects, deliverables, deadlines. Um, yeah, I love all your comments about it. Erica and I will be digesting all the comments after. All right, I want to ask Erica about, and then I know we have a bunch of questions, so we want to <laughs> get into them, but I want to ask you about rituals because I love your book about rituals. I love rituals. My family sometimes says, like, I make a ritual out of anything. Like, I can't just like, can't just be dinner. It has to be like, what's a theme? That's my big thing. I create themes. I'm like, what's a theme for this dinner? You know, and by everyone, so everyone knows a theme could be everyone go to the fridge and find a leftover. And then that's our leftovers dinner. Like that's a theme, you know? Um, so I want you to talk about rituals. You, I love your book. I love your work around it, but talk about how leaders can use rituals as a tool at right now to um, create a sense of belonging and psychological safety. And just to me, like connection, I think is so yeah. important as people are going back to the office or have a dynamic model. I'm adopting that word, have a dynamic model. Yeah, I think rituals are gonna be key to this transition. Um, so I wanna share a little bit of the science around why we should be thinking about rituals. What I love about rituals is that they are so highly accessible to all of us as leaders and they don't have to cost anything. Again, it goes back to being intentional. So I came up with an equation. I took all the science of rituals and came up with something called the three Ps. This is what rituals give us. First, they give us a sense of psychological safety and belonging, which as we transition back to this dynamic model, um, we're gonna really need. The second is that rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose and values. When you add those two together, you get increased performance. And again, a lot of us as leaders, if you want to lead with language that's going to resonate around making the soft stuff more of the hard stuff, um, you know, performance speaks. And so one study, um, I have it in the book, but just the short version is that companies where, where people feel that they can bring their whole selves and not check who they are at the door and have that sense of psychological safety and have rituals, collaboration goes up by 47% and performance and productivity goes up by 50%. So the, um, the numbers are real. 
So when I talk about rituals, what I want you all to think about is where are there opportunities for rituals in your organization? And that's why I called it the rituals roadmap. So map out the employee experience, rituals around onboarding, recruiting. I mean, it's really difficult to onboard new people right now when you're not even meeting them face to face Mm -hmm. and give them that sense of psychological safety. Rituals in meetings, you know, beginnings and endings, just like we did today. Rituals around celebrating milestones, um, rituals around professional development, all of that art. And when I interviewed hundreds of leaders for my book and asked about rituals, sometimes they would say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I have any rituals. So I came up with this magic question and I'm going to share it today um, that I was, when I asked this question, I literally across the Zoom or when I was in person saw the light bulb go off to say, yes, that's a ritual in our organization. So here is the magic question. The magic question is, um, when do employees in, you know, fill in the blank organization, so I'll use Chipotle, they were in the book, you know, where we talked about Capital One. When do employees at Capital One feel most Capital One-ish? And since we seem to have a lot of Capital One people, you can put it in the chat. When do you feel most Capital One-ish? And I know that's not so highly technical sounding, but it really resonates. And when I asked Marisa Andrada, the CHRO at Chipotle, that question, she said, I got it. Every day at Chipotle at 10.15 in the morning, right before they open, the employees have been there since 6.30 a.m. chopping up the lettuce and making the guacamole. They sit down and connect over a meal before the doors open. Or at, or at LinkedIn, it was their one day a month of professional development where they invest in themselves. And I could clearly go on about this for, for a long time. But for all of you, think about as we transition back, What are rituals that you can incorporate, either maintaining old rituals you had or opportunities to create new rituals, rituals around emotional fitness and wellness, block an hour a week and make people go do something around their emotional health and report back, as Natalie was saying. And, you know, we're happy to answer questions about it, but this is a tool for all of us. Mm -hmm. And um, there's real science. I'm telling you, I've seen it the level of, of psychological safety and belonging and connection, it's, it is off the charts. And so, um, you know, I want to make sure we're, we, we have time for questions, but I do think that's where this ritual work fits into opportunities for emotional fitness as rituals, but also it is, it is going to be the key or a key to mm. transitioning back in a way that makes people feel the most safe and connected. Yeah. No, and I love that. And I um, I want to build on that. And so we have, just so everyone knows, we have 20 minutes. This is a great time to put your questions into Q&A. Um, I know there's some in chat and we'll get to them, but if you can put them into Q&A, it's at the bottom of your screen. Um, Eric and I can see them easily. But I want to just build onto that and then let's take questions. Because um, as I mentioned, my love for rituals, close to Erica's, I'm, I'm obsessed. I want to um, give a few perspectives around rituals and also address, um, I know there's a lot of people who are hesitant if they're, you know, if they're going back into the office. So I want to address that from my other piece of, um, from the neuroscience perspective, one of the beautiful things about rituals is they give us a sense of safety, even if we're doing our own, not with a team. And remember, I talked about how change signals danger to your brain because change comes with a lot of uncertainty. 
So your brain is now looking for danger. It's looking for everything that could go wrong. It's making up a lot of really negative scenarios about the future to give itself a sense of certainty. So creating a ritual, creating something that is meaningful to you, that is a positive experience that makes you feel comfortable, it actually signals safety to your brain. And one of my practical suggestions for you individually, if you're hesitant about maybe going back to the office or the transition, or for you individually and for you as a team is create something, and I'll build on what Erica said, maybe it's a ritual, um, to look forward to. So we as human beings, it's harder for us to lose something than like we feel more down if we lose something than we feel excited about gaining something. We're very loss averse. So maybe you're one of the folks who you've gotten really comfortable working from home, right? I've heard from so many people that they're now like, oh my God, the commute and all that. I'm really anxious about it. Create something, um, a new little tradition or a ritual or something to look forward to because that literally tells your brain this change that's happening, there's something good to look forward to. When we have something positive to look forward to, it boosts our motivation, it boosts our focus, it boosts our mood. So one specific thing for you to do and I love what Eric ta- what Erica talked about, like what a beautiful opportunity for you as a leader to create together with your team. You could have a brainstorm to create like a new team tradition or a new ritual that gives everyone something positive to look forward to. The other thing I just want to acknowledge um, and encourage you all to do um, is to recognize that Um, And this is like, I think it's a great way to like wrap and then we'll jump into questions. Eric and I have talked so much in different words about emotional awareness, vulnerability, emotional openness. Those are non-negotiable components of emotional fitness. We cannot have a supportive relationship with ourselves and others if we're not open about our emotions and aware of them. And so I think to recognize that you may feel a certain way. Others may feel differently. I know people who cannot wait to get back into the office, Erica. Like I have a couple of friends, they can, and they have, they have toddlers and they're like, I'm counting down the seconds. Like I, I can, I'm going to rip my hair out. Erica and I have, have older kids, like teenagers and up. Um, I think my teenager is very excited to get into a school building also, but some people are really excited. Some people are not. And there's like different challenges don't should yourself. Do not should. There isn't a way you are supposed to feel. And I say this to you as an individual. I say this to you as a leader. There isn't a way you're supposed to feel. We create so much additional stress and anxiety for ourselves when we judge our emotions. And so to me, like a great practice I want to offer you to kind of wrap before we answer questions is this is also a great opportunity for you to elevate your own emotional fitness to your number one priority. Because when you do that, you are better at helping others. You are better at your work. You are more productive, more creative. You know, I love that Eric and I are both research geeks. There's this much research that shows that you're more emotionally fit. You are better at everything you do. So make this your opportunity to put your own emotional fitness at the top of your list and begin by practicing your own check-in. Check in with yourself every day and say, how am I? The way you would do with a team or a friend and ask yourself how you're feeling and you don't need to change it. You don't need to fix it, but it starts to build your awareness. And research shows that people who are more emotionally aware actually have greater well-being because naturally, if you become aware that, oh, I'm feeling a little anxious today, well, 
what can I do to support myself better? And so that's like your own check-in is as important. And by the way, the way that we treat ourselves reflects on how we treat others. The more you check in with yourself, the more you're intentional about checking in with others. Um, All right. We have a bunch of questions, Erica. I love, um, we're going to answer them in no particular order because we have lots of different questions, both in chat um, and in Q&A. So um, this is a really great question uh, from Karen. Uh, You take this one first, Erica. Is there a way to create connectivity between those working on-site and those working at home? I think it's a really great question because a lot of companies are going to be in this dynamic model. Yes. So I would start with what I said earlier through that lens of honoring relationships. You got to remember there's people at home and there's people in the office. And I just had somebody recently say to me, he was at a meeting and he was at home and there were people in and I could feel his emotion. He said it was so awful that he's never felt worse. And we don't Mm -hmm. want our people feeling like that. He, He didn't feel seen. And so one way to do it is to create these rules of the road in the beginning, have, have a meeting or have a ritual, have a check-in, have something that brings everyone together, you know, at certain meetings, have it every, tell everybody that they need to have the cameras on. Of, Of course, there are always exceptions if somebody has something going on, but again, it's about being intentional and creating these opportunities to sort of democratize how we are experiencing this meeting. I also think if the if the office space supports it, you might want to, let's say this is a weekly meeting, maybe twice a month, even for those people who are in the office, they go to their own cubicles or their own parts of the office so that it does equal the playing field and, and raises that level of empathy so that you remember, remember what it's like to be the one that's called in. And the last thing I would say is to really say to people, you know, at the leader, remember, like when this thing ends, we're not going to keep talking about like you like office chit chat and you want to benefit from being in the office, but you don't want to keep the meeting going so that the people at home miss some important stuff. And again, left to our own devices, it's not going to work. We've got to be intentional and really guide everyone through, through these types of scenarios. Yeah. I love that. I think I love the specificity. I want to offer what one team shared they're doing, which I just thought it's a tactical thing, but I thought it was really, um, I don't know, I found it helpful. So it's actually a pretty large team. They're all dynamic. So it's um, about half and half in office and they actually all over the world. The other people are remote in different parts of the world. And something that they do for their um, team meeting um, every week is they... Um, uh, switched. So one week it's everyone defaults to remote. So when they start like doing their, you know, uh, check-ins, it's an agile process team. It's a tech team. So when they start doing their, what did you accomplish? They start with people who are on their computers. They start with virtual. The next week they start with people in the room and, um, they've been doing this. They've been back for a couple months and they were saying that it's a simple tactical thing, but it's been really helpful because it kind of helps everyone be on similar footing. Um, and so I just offer that because it's a pretty large team and it's been working for them. Um, and I, with that, I want to, without going into detail, um, there's a lot of really small, like Eric and I have offered so many practices and rituals and kind of mindset shifts, but, be intentional and thoughtful about some of the tactics, how a meeting is structured, how a meeting is run. And again, if you use the lens of 
We want everyone to feel like they belong. We want everyone to feel like they're connected. You you may change some of the tactics for your meetings and those really matter. Um, Natalie, let me, I want to ask, can I, I want to pick up on one thing in the question and then flip, flip one of these questions to you. Oh. Um, so Emily asked, you know, there is this monotony hangover. People are burned out. Recommendations on how to reset as we head into the fall. And I think this is one of the reasons, the exact reason why Natalie and I decided to do this now is this fall, th- there is a lot of stress and anxiety around it. So when I wrote Ritual's Roadmap, it's not only the roadmap in terms of the employee experience, but it's your own roadmap. Mm-hmm. And so think about ways for you to reset and map out your day, you know, in the morning, over lunch, how you take a break. And the question that I would love for you to ask yourselves, and it would be great for people to put some things in the chat. Um, and then now I'm going to flip one of these other questions because it's related to you is people will say, well, where do I start? And one of the places where I think it's great to start is what do you do in your life? I love this question. Natalie, maybe you can answer it. What do you do in your life? And I think I know the answer that makes you feel most like you. Mm-hmm. What do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? And if you're having this burnout and, and you're thinking about the fall, what are some small things that you can build into your day? You know, to me, I have a morning ritual. I am not a brand ambassador for Starbucks. The name of my book was inspired by my barista. I have a couple minutes and I sit there feeling the heat on my hands and take a few deep breaths and I connect with myself. It takes a couple minutes. Um, But Natalie, what do you do in your life that, that makes you feel most like you? We'd love to see it in the chat, but then I'd love to flip it and say, you know, we have a question here. What, what are a few tips to start working on your own emotional um, fitness and well-being right now. Yeah, no, and I love Erica that you grabbed Emily's question. I'm sure it's on the minds of everyone. Um, I don't get bored, and I'm getting pretty sick. Like I don't know how to be bored because I have so many things to do, but I'm getting pretty sick of being in the same space. So, uh, what makes me feel like me? Well, um, a lot of things. Painting is one. That's probably the one Erica was thinking. So, for everyone who's new, you're looking at some of my art behind me. Um, I do paint for joy. It helps me connect. And um, there's often where I'll do like a 10 minute watercolor. Um, You know, these are oil paintings and it helps me to break away from the work thinking from the monotony and do something new, which brings me to, I want to share some tips, both to Emily's question and like practicing your well-being. really, really specific tips. Um, The first is, um, uh, make a quick list, maybe right after the session. This is part of your homework, right? Make a quick list. It can be two, three, four things. What are some things that fuel you? Um, and if you are not sure, it's okay, right? It's been a really hard year. So what are some things that you always wanted to try? Maybe it's a great opportunity to try something new. You know, I've been doing a lot of power of creativity workshops with companies. We just did a series with Dell. If there's any Dell people here say hello too. And it was so interesting because people would, um, when I said like, what is something creative that you do? And a lot of people said, oh my God, I used to love photography. I used to love collaging. I haven't even thought about doing it because I've been in survival mode. So my first tip is to make a quick list of three to five things that fuel you. And hello, Dell in the house. I love it. Um, Make a quick list, right? Erica's morning coffee ritual, my little watercolor painting, going for a walk, Um, maybe um, your list includes a creative hobby that you used to do, you haven't done. 
learning something new is really fueling. Our brain loves to learn something new. So make a quick list of those things and make it intentional for yourself to practice a few of them and make them part of your daily fuel up or start it on the weekends, but make it an intention, make a little plan. What am I going to do? When am I going to do it? How am I going to do it to practice doing some of these things that fuel you? Another tip to work on your emotional well-being is what I was saying before, we cannot improve our well-being if we're not aware of our feelings. So practice the check-in. I cannot tell you how many people I've taught this practice to and they're like, oh my God, I realized I check in with my colleagues, with my family, with everybody else, but I don't really take a moment to say to myself, like, how am I feeling? And then that awareness guides you to do more things that are fueling. Practice gratitude. I cannot harp about gratitude enough. If you don't have a daily gratitude habit, I offer you a morning gratitude lens. That's a practice I do every morning. In the morning, before you grab your phone, because you know we are, before you go into your email or social media, take a moment. Think of three specific things you are grateful for. Really important that they are specific because if they're general, your brain will ignore them. Jot them down in some way. doesn't have to be a journal, note card, index card, notes app on your phone. Maybe you have a gratitude buddy. Maybe it's a coworker. We've had so many coworkers say like, I'll text you my three gratitudes. Maybe as a leader, this is your first email of the day is to send your three gratitudes to your team. But beginning your days with gratitude it's such an important practice to fuel your well-being, your productivity, your focus, especially with so many things uncertain. So those are um, some tips. Um, I We have so many questions we're probably not going to get into. So what I want to make sure we do, Erica and I, is to give you, oh, I love it, Jennifer, uh, doing daily stand-up with gratitude. I think, Jennifer, you're from Fidelity. I love it. Um, one of um, the women in, um, I do, we do, we run an Elevated Women Leaders leadership group every year. By the way, this is early announcement. We're opening up enrollment at our next Elevated Women Leaders group in September. Look out for the announcement. Um, one of my favorite things to do every year. And one of the women in it is from Fidelity. And she started to um, do gratitude as part of the daily stand-up. And she said it blew her away, Erica, too. She used the word ritual without my using it. She's like, the quietest members of the team started to share things because the gratitude gave them a frame, right? So I want to make sure um, that you all know, you know, Eric and I were talking about before, Eric and I have worked with so many companies and leaders, and you can tell we have so much to share and this work is like our life purpose for both of us. So I want to make sure that you all know ways that we can help and support you individually as leaders, as teams and companies. Um, the first thing I want to tell you, there will be a follow-up email that comes. Um, you'll see it from Zoom. It'll have a link to Erica's website. It'll have a link to um, the well-being webinars and happier work programs and elevating women leaders. Debbie just put it in chat. Um, you can grab that link. So you will get the links. Um, and um, both of us will send you a welcome email. Welcome to our Natalie and Erica family, and we'll make sure that you know how we can help. So we will do that. But before we do that, so that's all coming. Erica, I'd love for you to talk about, um, I know there's something new you are working on to support leaders and teams, and then I'll share um, what we are creating to support everyone through this transition. Okay, great. Well, thank you. This was so fun. I do. I feel like you could stay on all day. Um, so I, after many people asking me and, and amazing support from, from Natalie as well, I am launching, um, a course that's starting in September because 
everybody was feeling all of this stress of, of the fall, um, as we saw in the chat. And so it's going to be a six week, six session course on how to bring your human to work for leaders and it's support and scaffolding for leaders on how to manage. It's going to go from September to December. And the hope is that we can all together have some starts and stops. And, and then as we go into 2022, you know, we'll, we'll have a better sense of, of what's working and what we need to focus on. So everybody will hear about that. And I also love to offer, I'll put my email in the chat, but I'd love to, to give away some books to this amazing group. So email me, copy Natalie, or tag us on social media. Tell us some things that you, that you loved to, um, that you loved hearing about today. And I'll pick, pick some people and, and send some books. And finally, I love that, Erica, let's both do that. I love okay. that idea. So all right. Both give away. For you all. I love it. So either email Erica and my email, Debbie will put it in. It's, um, you can email team at happier.com. So either email us something you learned or share on social media, something you learned or one way that you are going to be practicing your emotional fitness and leading with it on social media, tag us. And both Eric and I will pick a, a few people and send you signed copies of our books. I love that idea. Love, love, love it. All right. Uh, and Natalie, what are you working on? Yeah. So two things that I want to, um, and I love that there's some folks from Watermark here. Yes. Watermark is a, as is, has a special place in my heart. I hope to speak there every year. Um, so two things I want to highlight. So um, we um, have created, so I've been doing workshops and talks for companies and teams throughout, but we created a special well-being webinar series that we're offering to teams, to companies, to leaders. If you are interested in bringing it to your company or your team, team at happier.com, you will hear from Debbie, my awesome colleague who's on and helping us in the background. She's my right hand. Um, and it's all about practical emotional fitness skills to help you and your team get through this challenging time. So if you're interested in bringing it to your team, let us know. Um, and uh, I already mentioned, but I just want to give a special shout out. Elevating Women Leaders is my heart work. Um, it's a year long group of women leaders where we spend a year. I don't know. We, Debbie and I was talking about, it's like a a circle, a connection, a group, but it's a year long program. It's all virtual, always has been. This will be our third cohort. And we learn and practice these emotional fitness skills for ourselves and leaders. It creates an incredible safe space to talk about your challenges. I know we have some graduates of Elevating Women Leaders who are on. So we will be opening up enrollment officially next week. But since you are here, you can go to the link and apply. It's a small group. It's curated. We make sure it's all awesome humans in it. So um, again, to support you throughout the whole year, as Erica said, the challenges continue. So Erica, thank you. It's uh, like I, Erica and I could be here for the rest of the day. Someone said stay on all day. You guys don't want us to do that because we can. <laughs> Erica and I totally will. Um, I'm so grateful that we got to share this together and offer what I know is meaningful for both of us. I am so grateful for all of you, including everyone who's watching this as a recording, for making this time for you. Um, the only request, I know Erica will echo me on this, is practice, practice, practice. Take one or two things that you learned and put them into action. Do them on your own. Share them with your colleagues. Practice with your team. That is how we can stay awake with this wake-up call. That is how you've all, we, Eric and I are passing the baton. You now have the baton. Go forth and be awesome leaders and practice. And like I said, Eric and I will be in touch with you separately 
Um, we're always here for you. So you have Erica's email, you know how to reach me. Um, it means a lot for us to offer you this support. And it's so great when we get to do it um, together in matching yellow, which we did not plan. I think Erica said it. I just want to emphasize, we did not plan this. And let's time someday it would be so amazing to do this in person with everybody. We got to. We're going to. We're going to. That's a promise. Actually, I think we can totally like tease. Um, so my next book, The Awesome Human Project, comes out in February. And Erica and I are so excited to do an in-person event in New York City. So Erica, I'm announcing it because it's got to happen in person. Right. It's happening. We're on. We're on. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Erica. Everyone have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. And I'll see you next week for Awesome Human Hour. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.